Hello, my name is Sandy Adamitis, the social media director for the Page International Screenwriting Awards, and your host for the Writer's Hangout, a podcast that celebrates the many stages of writing, from inspiration to the first draft, revising, getting a project made, and everything in between. We'll talk to the best and the brightest in the entertainment industry and create a space where you can hang out, learn from the pros, and have fun. We're rolling. Hi, I'm Sandy Adamitis. Hi, I'm Terry Sampson. And welcome to the Writer's Hangout. How was your week, Terry? Pretty good, and yours? My week was very good, but I'm very concerned about myself. Well, no, not <laughs> very concerned. I'm a, Are you two I, talking? I, I've gone up a level. <laughs> what? Are you two talking? You and yourself? <laughs> yes. Okay. And I sat down and talked to myself. Last week's episode was 2016 screenwriter Diane Hanks. She wrote a book called The Woman with the Purple Heart. And it is all about Annie Fox and Hickam Air Force Base in Honolulu and World War II and Pearl Harbor being bombed. And Hickam is adjacent to Pearl Harbor. Such loss on their end. Oh, okay. So I read, I think the book is close to 400 pages. And then I interviewed Diane about Hickam Air Force Base. Great interview. Week later, I'm in my kitchen. Remember the last time I had an epiphany? It was in my bedroom. Okay, so it's, Going, a, it's a room thing? It's a room thing. Okay. I'm in my kitchen. Guess who spent a week at Hickam Air Force Base and totally forgot it? Someone in your kitchen. Me. You. How could I do a whole interview and read a book and forget? No, I, I didn't forget that I was at that Air Force Base for a week, um, but I forgot that it was Hickam. I mean, how many, oh, Air, okay. how many Air Force Bases did I think was on Oahu? My cousin Maureen was there with her husband, John, and they were stationed there. And I spent a week at their house on Hickam Air Force Base. Oh, wow. Which was attacked in World War II. 500 uh, casualties were oh. in Hick- Hickam. Wow. It was terrible. And, well, you do Hawaii things when you were there. You probably swam, probably took a surf lesson. Yes. Actually, I thought I was going to be doing all the touristy things. Mm-hmm. We got up every morning and went to a new beach. Right. On these two West Coast beaches, they're cold. They're just not really pleasant. <laughs> OMG, the Hawaiian beaches are beautiful, and we would just drive, and we would have a whole beach all to ourselves with the most beautiful scenery. Yeah, my reaction to that, to what you're saying, is that if you go to a beach in Hawaii, my favorite is this huge one in Kauai, Mm -hmm. but if you go, it's the idea is that's what you think an L.A. beach would be like yes. if you lived not in Los Angeles. Yes. Our beaches are very stark, very flat. I mean, as you go up north, it's it's rocky. Uh-huh. But Santa Monica beaches, it's just a parking lot to me. Uh-huh. Okay. But if you want to talk about a beach that falls into your idea of being perfect, it's in the Hawaiian it's Islands. It's in Hawaii, yes, yeah. yes. On a sad note, we lost a legend this week. Norman Lair, 
who was 101, died Tuesday night. Norman Lear was the writer, director, and producer who revolutionized comedy and television. He died Tuesday night in his sleep, surrounded by his family at his home in Los Angeles. I felt we should take a moment and honor this man. Yeah, great. He really changed television. Norman created and produced All in the Family, considered to be one of the best TV sitcoms of all time, as well as a string of comedies, included Sanford and Son, The Jeffersons, and One Day at a Time. Now, out of those, All in the Family and The Jeffersons were groundbreaking. Terry, can you let the writers out there know what those shows were about? Yeah, All in the Family is has been touted as a series that brought reality to primetime TV. The lead character, Archie Bunker, who played by Carol O'Connor, is a loudmouth, uneducated bigot who believes every stereotype that he's ever heard. <laughs> His wife, Edith, played by Maureen Stapleton, is sweet, but not the sharpest knife in the drawer. The, uh, oh! Right. That's the beautiful soprano squeaky voice. They and their daughter, Gloria, who was played by uh, Sally Struthers, and her husband, Mike, uh, by Rob Reiner, who went on to do a lot of things. In yes, business. he did very well for himself. Yeah, he did. They all live in a working class home. And unfortunately for Archie, he can't avoid the people he disdains. His son-in-law, whom Archie <laughs> called Meathead, is an unemployed student of Polish descent. The Jefferson's next door neighbors are black. Edith's cousin, Maud, is a feminist. And later, his partners in a local tavern are Jewish. Oh, my. Just a melting pot all around Archie. (laughs) Norman was also the guy behind the Jeffersons. The Jeffersons were uh, moving on up to the east side to a deluxe apartment in the sky. The spinoff from All in the Family is about literal upward mobility. African-American couple George played by Sherman Hemsley, and Louise Jefferson, played by Isabel Sanford, move into a swanky high-rise building. George is prickly and often rude. A guy who thinks his wealth should get him anywhere he wants to go. His wife is more level-headed and often cuts him down to size when his schemes go awry. Yes, because it is the 70s and you need schemes in a sitcom. (laughs) That's true. That's right. Um, What I remember most about the Jeffersons was that the couple next door, I believe they were interracial couple. The husband was white and the wife was black. Right. But the actress was Lenny Kravitz's mother. Is that right? Yeah. How did Norman Lear get his start? Okay. Back in the 1950s, Norman partnered with his cousin's husband, Ed Simmons, to write sketches on the variety show The Colgate Comedy Hour for comic duo Martin and Lewis. Okay, kids. In the 50s, Martin and Lewis, Dean Martin, and Jerry Lewis were the Beatles of comedy. That's right. Uh, That's a nice start, to start off writing for them. From there, he found steady work as a television writer. The first television series Norman created was The Deputy, starring, again, it's just amazing how this man starts off things, Henry Fonda. Oh, What a nice lead 
actor to have in your very first television series. That was in 1959, so end of the 50s, early 60s. It lasted two seasons. I can't imagine Henry Fonda being canceled. I mean, who cancels Henry Fonda? I can't believe I've never heard of this show. Yeah, I'm going to have to check out a little bit more. Oh, and this is going to sound familiar to you, Terry. Next up, for Norman, writing and producing movies, including Come Blow Your Horn. Right. Which ended up being... Heaven Can Wait, we talked about in the episode, The Big Idea. Right, right, right. So go back and listen to that. Yeah. And Divorce American Style. Oh, that was his? Great. The 70s. This is Norman's pinnacle. He will go on to transform over the course of the that decade television. It starts in 1971 with All in the Family. Again, the groundbreaking comedy used to tackle taboo subjects such as racism, gay rights, and abortion. It won two Emmys. Wow. That is very impressive. Following All in the Family, Norman made a number of other iconic sitcoms, including Maud, Sanford and Son, The Jeffersons, and One Day at a Time. Norman Lear believed in the value of writing. Just six months before his death, he showed solidarity with the then-striking WGA writers with a message on Instagram. I have been, at my core, a writer a writer who struggled and anguished to put words to paper that would provoke, create conversation, humanize us, help us see each other, words that would matter. I wrote in the very first year of television when writers were revered. I now watch talented writers struggle to earn a living wage without the path to a career like mine. He's saying a lot there, and I agree. I just see how hard it is and how hard the writers are struggling these days. But then again, they have avenues open to them that weren't available in Norman Lear's day. Lear was behind many TV series, whether in writing, producing, and or developing capacity, including, I'm going to list them in years, All in the Family, 1971, Maud, 1971, Sanford and Son, 1972, The Jeffersons, 1975, One Day at a Time, 1975, Mary Hart, Mary Hart, 1976, Good Times, 1979, The Facts of Life. Do we have Norman to thank for George Clooney? That is just hit after hit, year after year after year. What movies did Norman Lear produce? In the mid-80s, Lear formed the production company Act 3 Communications. So I would say it's his third act, he was thinking? Yeah. Which produced films including Rob Reiner's The Sure Thing. Do you remember that movie by any chance? I don't. John Cusack is in school back east right before Christmas break, and his friend is going to go visit his friend at UCLA, and he says, there's this really hot girl there. It's a sure thing. You just got to get there. So John Cusack um, hooks up with um, Daphne Zunegi, is that her name? A very preppy girl. Mm -hmm. And she's driving cross country. So they decide to drive cross country together. Of course. See, <laughs> just a cute movie. Sure thing. Stand by me. Oh, wow. The Princess Bride. 
Good third act. That's a good third act. Now, I came across an article by Rhonda Gerlich from the New York Times, and she wrote about Norman that I would like to read. She wrote this on December 7th, 2023. Amid the 1970s television landscape selling obvious sex and youth, Norman Lear understood the magnetism of older, everyday women. Mr. Lear, who died Tuesday at 101, has long gotten credit for being the first to train the television spotlight on issues of racism and class, war and poverty, to create plots centered on hot-button feminist issues, such as equal pay or abortion. He deserves all of those accolades. But little has been said about much quieter feminism expressed simply through his choice of leading ladies and their characters. Mr. Lear made stars out of gifted midlife actresses without requiring them to look 20 years younger than they were. Instead, he made these women the focal point of important conversations, granting them dignity and gravitas and humor that was never cruel or at their expense. Amid the 1970s, television's landscape of sexy pinups, Farrah Fawcett, Suzanne Somers, beautiful superheroes, Linda Carter in Wonder Woman, Lindsay Wagner in The Bionic Woman, and relatable but thin and gorgeous heroines like Mary Tyler Moore, Mr. Lair's leading ladies stood out there for their sheer everydayness. Edith Bunker, Maude Finley, Louise Jefferson, and Florida Evans were all middle or working class middle-aged women, attractive but hardly supermodels. Over the years of their series, the actresses who played their roles ranged in age from their late 40s to their late 60s. They wore regular clothes on their regular bodies, simple dresses with tie belts, house coats, or tunic pantsuits, varied slightly to reflect their character's social status. Outfits any audience member might find in a department store, their hair and makeup were unobtrusive. Yet within these parameters lay real power. In their unflashy outfits, they had a commanding appeal different from and more enduring than that of all the bikini and evening gown-clad glamour girls of the era. In her floor-length vests, B. Arthur, as the feminist suburbanite Maud, could at times resemble a Roman senator. Mr. Lear's characters held our attention, making us clear about their struggles and joys, marriage and children, their money or work woes. They made us laugh. What's more, these women had romantic lives. Sometimes they would hint at having actual sex, despite the serious handicap of being over 40. (laughs) Esther Roll was 53 when she began playing Florida Evans on Good Times, which was a spinoff from her role in Maud. 19 years older than John Amos, the handsome actor playing her husband, James. Yet they were depicted as having a vital, erotic relationship. In one episode, James whisks Florida off to a snowbound cabin for a second honeymoon, carries her across the threshold and murmurs that he wants to 
get it on. Even the demure and innocent Edith Bunker, played by Jean Stapleton from age 47 to 56, referred on occasion to her still active bedroom activities. In an episode titled The Joys of Sex, Edith consults a sex manual to spice up her marriage. Ain't I always there when you're in the mood, asks a wounded Archie. Oh yeah, Archie, and even when I ain't. Mr. Lear's heroines also confronted feminine reproductive issues. Edith endured a rocky menopause, replete with crying, rage, and mood swings. On the Jeffersons, Louise Jefferson tries some marriage therapy techniques on her reluctant husband, George, trying gamely to get him to talk about sex. Most dramatically, Maud had a late-life abortion when the character was 47 and Arthur was 50. In other words, these female characters had female bodies and those bodies got to be part of the story, not as jiggling eye candy, objects of leering jokes, or fashion plates, but as the flesh and blood, complex, flawed, and sexual entities that bodies actually are and that all women have, whether they're 25, or 60 supermodels or not. I will uh, provide a link of Rhonda's article from the New York Times in the show notes. Norman Lair, may you rest in peace. Rest in peace. And that's a wrap for the Writer's Hangout. Thanks so much for listening. If you enjoyed the show, please take a moment to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Your positive feedback will help us keep the show going so we can continue bringing you more future episodes. Remember, keep writing. The world needs your stories. The Writer's Hangout is sponsored by the Page International Screenwriting Awards with executive producer Kristen Overn, producer Sandy Adamitis, and myself, Terry Sampson. And our music is composed by Ethan Stoller.